This morning, if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46, I want to begin by asking you a question. How quickly do you run to God as your your refuge? How quickly do you run to God as your strength? How quickly do you run to God as your fortress? Are those all descriptions that you would give of God? I don't know about... uh, 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 are, Are you accustomed, another question, to running to God as your help? Or is it more or less a foreign concept to you? You see, I don't know about you, but I often find myself better at providing counsel and encouragement to others regarding finding their strength in God than actually practicing it myself. I would much rather show you how you can trust God than have to be put in a corner where I have to trust God. It's so much easier to quote a Bible verse in the calm times of life than to have to rely upon those verses of Scripture during trial and tribulation, isn't it? Have you found that true of you? If you're a parent here, isn't it so much easier um, even to give advice to your children than to take that advice yourself? Yet as we talked about last week, because God pursues us for relationship, because we have a relational God that, that pursues us. Doesn't wait till we come to Him. He comes and pursues us. Because He desires a relationship with us, He patiently teaches us how to trust. He patiently proves to us over and over again that He is enough. There's no one as patient as God. Like Romans says, it's the patience, the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Another way of putting this is that God often places us in, in places, He puts us in places, in situations, in circumstances where we have nowhere to turn but to Him. That, my friends is an act of grace. It is actually God's goodness that puts us in places, situations, and circumstances that are beyond our capabilities in order for us to look to Him as our only source of sufficiency. That's God's goodness. Don't think of it that way very often, do we? But that is God's goodness. Now last week, or the past two weeks, we looked at Psalm 139 with the theme, Know Your God. What does Psalm 139 have to tell us about God? This week and next week, we are going to look at Psalm 46. Many individuals have memorized this, this, this psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 46 with the theme, not just to know our God, 
but to see how we are called to embrace our God. If we truly know who our God is, we are going to seek to embrace Him. See, Psalm 46 teaches us that no matter what may happen, God is in control. No matter what may happen, God can be trusted. No matter what may happen, He will have the final say in all adversity. You know, this psalm has been a comfort to Christians throughout the ages. In fact, uh, I I mentioned to you many of these passages I'm sharing um, are are things that meant a lot to me uh, during our time away on sabbatical. Psalm 46 is is one of those psalms that that the Lord um, just highlighted in my mind uh, and in my reading, uh, even in the course of going through some of these health difficulties that I have been. A side note, I did finally get an appointment for a test. Bad news is it's not till September 1st, but uh, good news is um, it can't be too serious, right? <laughs> uh, but God gave me uh, this psalm as an encouragement uh, in, in the midst of, of my adversity. And, and throughout church history, God's people have continually relied upon all of the psalms, but, but specifically Psalm 46 has been near and dear to the heart of so many Christians. In fact, Martin Luther The famous hymn, we're going to sing it next week, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. He penned that song based upon Psalm 46. He was facing the full fury of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church as he was going against uh, some of the main teachings of the Catholic Church in the 1500s. And he looked to God as his fortress. In fact, one person, in quoting Martin Luther, says this. It's on the screen. uh, In the darkest times, he used to say, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst. And then he says, he goes on, Martin Luther said, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church and His Word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. This is the confidence that we can have in God's Word. This is the confidence that we can have specifically as we come to Psalm 46. Now over the next two weeks, we are going to look at three reasons from Psalm 46 why we should embrace our God. Not just know Him, but embrace Him with everything that we are. And we're going to see these three reasons. I'll give them to you and then we'll unpack them over the next two weeks. Number one, He is our security in troubled times. Number two, He is our stronghold in this world. And number four, He is to be our sole focus. Last week, our key theme in in talking about knowing our God 
is that God is knowable because he has made himself known to us. And we saw how he has made himself known to us. This week, our key theme, and next week as well for Psalm 46, is this. Not only can, is God knowable, but we can trust God because he has made himself known to us. He has made himself known and he has proved through his actions that he is trustworthy. Therefore, we can trust him. This morning, we're going to look in verses 1 to 3. We're going to start looking at the first reason why we can embrace God is because he is our security in troubled times. Our security in troubled times. This morning, we are only going to look at verse 1. Verse 1 is such a powerful verse, but it's also so easy to read past verse 1 that we are going to unpack the rest of these verses next week. Our sole focus here in showing that God is our security in troubled times is going to be found simply in verse 1. Why is God our security in troubled times? Verse 1 shows us that we can run to God. I began by asking you this morning, how, how, how soon do you run to God as your refuge, your strength, your strong tower? Does the storm come and you let that storm kind of fester and you try to get out of that storm yourself until it gets so bad that that you can't even see that's like a good florida storm Uh, my kids were finally able to experience this summer when we went um, down south to see some good florida storms where it's such heavy rain such huge raindrops that that you have to go like 20 miles per hour sometimes on the interstate in order to be able to safely navigate your way. And then as, uh, as soon as it comes, it leaves. Are, are you waiting until uh, the storm is so bad that you run? You see, what marks a mature Christian from an immature Christian? One of the marks is the mature Christian uh, uh, in, in a more uh, timely manner, faster and faster, runs to God rather than waiting, thinking they can do it on their own. Many individuals here with white hair who have been through more of life than others of us. I can include myself in that, right? I got see right here? <laughs> no. Um, you've been through life and you, you can look to the younger generation and say, like David, that God has provided. I've been hungry. I've lived life. Yet never have I seen the righteous forsaken. Boy, what a ministry you have here. If you're a senior citizen, if you're older, to impart the faithfulness of God to the younger generation. You don't have to hide and conceal your struggles. The difficulties of life that God has brought you through, those should be testaments to God's grace that you're willing to share 
to strengthen the faith of those who are coming after you, that they would faithfully carry the baton in this race. We can run to God. In the book of Proverbs, it says it like this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. What a shelter. What a safe haven. The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord uh, represents His character, who He is, what He does. We can run to our God knowing His character, knowing that He is a God who saves. He is a God who cares for His own. And no matter what is happening outside, so to speak, feel safe in the refuge of Christ. Well, verse 1 of, of, of our psalm this morning, Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. If God is indeed our refuge and strength, we can run to Him. I want to share with you just uh, two reasons why this morning we can run with confidence to God. Number one, He is our only help. He is our only help. You may say, well, Pastor Adam, I know theologically that that is true, but yet I got a lot of other helpers here. I can run to my spouse, or I can run to my parents, or I can run to my friends, or I can run to uh, whoever it is. But listen, their ability to bring calm and peace uh, despite circumstances, to truly bring help, when we really look at other humans, that ability is very limited. And that is why if we are not running to God first and foremost, we are going to 100% of the time be disappointed in people. You know what a marriage recipe disaster is? When you start looking to your spouse as your Savior. That somehow I can run to my spouse to meet all of my needs and I'm going to be content. You know what that does? It, it, it saps your spouse dry until there's nothing left to give and it still leaves you lacking. And it's the same way in any re relationship. Not just if you're married. You see, God is, our tru uh, is truly our only help to actually help us in every single way that we need help. Now, God will use people. God will use His church. But it is God working through people, through His church, through different avenues in supplement to what He's already doing just through Himself. You see, you can go to the greatest counselor in the world, but if you're looking to that counselor to impart and solve all of your problems, you're going to be disappointed. Because at the end of the day, a good Christian counselor is going to draw you, bring you to see your need for God. 
not to be reliant on him or her. God is our only help. If you remember in Psalm 139, the passage, uh, if you're reading in, in, in the original languages, it starts off with the very personal name for God, Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. In Psalm 46, pointing us to the proper focus we are to have, this psalm likewise starts not talking about us, but God. In fact, literally with the word order, it would be God to us is a refuge and strength. It is all about God. Uh, We can only find hope, the us part, if our eyes are fixated on God. Why is He our only help? Because He and He alone, the text says, is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a, a shelter. It is a protection from chaos and calamity. It is somewhere that we go to find protection, to find shelter. And if we use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture, we're going to be looking, um, I'm going to have these on the screen for you so you can stay in Psalm 46. We're going to be looking at several different passages this morning that give us a deeper meaning of what it really means for God to be our shelter, our refuge, our, our strength. For instance, if we go to Psalm 61 and verse 4, David, right after saying in verse 3, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, he says, for you have been my refuge. And again, you want to get a word picture of what a refuge is? A strong tower from the enemy. Now, I know we're not living in the medieval ages um, or, or um, even in the Bible days with, 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 with walled cities and, and, and fortresses and castles. But David is saying here that to run to God as your refuge is like going into a fortified tower within a castle that you are totally and completely protected. That is what it means for God to be our refuge. In Psalm 94 and verse 22, the psalmist says, But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, here's another great word picture, the rock of my refuge. Remember what Jesus said about the foolish man and the wise man? What did the foolish man build his house upon? The sand, right? What did the wise man build his house upon? The rock. Could I ask you this morning, what are you building your life upon? You can have all of the wisdom, the business wisdom that shows in your bank account and in the things you possess. You can have all of the worldly wisdom that, that, that this life has to offer and be a huge success in your, your given field, yet still be building your life 
on the sands. And guess what happens when that storm comes? There's no protection, no shelter. The the storms come, and as Jesus gives the story of the wise man and foolish man, his house is built upon the sand, and it gets wiped away. You see, the Psalms use this word 12 times, uh, this word refuge. Every single use of this word refuge, this specific word refuge that's used in Psalm 46, every time it's referred to of no one else but God. You see, He is the only refuge. So where do you turn for refuge? Where do you turn when you receive that bad news? When you have that difficult relationship? When you are experiencing work-related problems? Problems within your home? Problems with your children? Thinking of going to college of, or, or whatever it is. What is your refuge? Just one final passage that I want to share with you regarding um, this idea of God being our refuge. And this is a very close use to what we're going to see later in this psalm. In the book of Joel, Joel is pronouncing judgment on Israel. That God is going to judge, but then he concludes his book saying, there is coming the day of the Lord when He is going to judge the nations and redeem His people. And in Joel chapter, that should be chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. So there's cataclysmic judgment coming, but... The Lord is a refuge to His people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. We're not going to speak too much into this verse because uh, this idea gets unpacked later in Psalm 46, but let me say this right now. It doesn't matter what surrounds you. When the Lord is your refuge, you are in the safest place you could possibly be. Emotionally, Spiritually, physically, God is a refuge to His people. It is a promise. If God indeed is true, if God's character is indeed perfect, it is impeccable, there is no inconsistency or lying in God, then we have to say God is a tried and true refuge. Listen, don't elevate yourself amongst the countless number of followers of Jesus that have come before you. Don't think that somehow you're different. That somehow your situation is just different than all of the others where there was even apparent defeat in this life. Yet we know victory, ultimate victory through Christ. God is our refuge. Yet the text doesn't just stop there. Verse 1 says God is also our strength. 
Did you know that this word strength, and this isn't some magical thing that I, that I do, that I share with you. Any of you can look at what word is used in the Bible and how many times it appears. You have a Strong's Concordance or a computer. Um, you are able to do this. But did you know that the word strength is used 17 times in the Old Testament? Every single one of them is about God. God is our strength. This particular word that's used here for strength, only about God. So what are some examples where God has proven himself to be the strength of his people? Well, in Exodus 15 and verse 2, this is a song of praise, and we're going to talk a little bit about this um, at the, towards the end of August. Right after God delivers his people from the clutches of Egypt, I mean, they're, they're running after God's people. They're trapped at, at the sea. God delivers them. He parts the Red Sea. What, does, uh, the people, what do the people of Israel say? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is very experiential language that, that, that we see here. Because what, he is, what, what the people of Israel are saying is, we know that God is strength. I mean, God isn't salvation simply because of one thing that he did. I mean, it's God's character, and God promised over and over again he's going he's to save, he's going to rescue his people. But now the children of Israel here, after the, the Red Sea crossing, they've experienced it. They've lived and found God true. And they say the Lord is not just strength, He is my strength. My song Listen, are some of you songless Christians today? In the Psalms, when it says, the Lord has put a new song in my mouth, he's not talking about uh, traditional versus contemporary Christian music. Come on. He's talking about that the Lord has, I've seen him, he has proven himself true, and he has produced worship once again in my heart. Is your heart worshipful today because of your God? Or man, are you running on fumes? And the only song you're singing this morning is maybe the blues. Dennis, sing it out with that gravelly voice. (laughs) Or, woe is me. Could it be that This morning, you have not claimed the promise in faith that the Lord is my strength. That the Lord is my song. He is my reason for living. How many times do you get a song stuck in your mind and it goes over and over again in your mind? And maybe you're humming it at home and and you're family member gets a, finally gets annoyed at it and says, would you please stop? I mean, this is what it should be. Our song, the Lord is my song. We are constantly, it, He is on our hearts. We are rehearsing the goodness of God to us. But you know, it's really hard to sing a song when you don't know the lyrics. And I wonder how, how much of us 
are struggling having God as our song, not, because, not only because we're not putting our, our, our daily faith in Him, but because we don't know the lyrics. We're not in God's Word like we should be. Psalm 28 and verse 8. Psalmist says, The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Were it not for God and His strength, God's people throughout biblical history, throughout church history, would never be able to stand on, on our own. The gates of hell would prevail were it not for His strength. The Lord has, is the strength of His people. You see, the Psalms are not just the worship book, so to speak, for Israel. The Psalms are the worship book for all of us as Christians. How much more for us who now see Jesus in these Psalms than if you're uh, a Jewish uh, person that, that b- does not believe in the Messiah. He is the saving refuge of His anointed in Psalm 59, just uh, this is the last psalm I want to direct your attention to. David writes this psalm. It's in the wake of the pursuit of his enemies. In fact, the, um, the, the, the inscription on the psalm says, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. That's, that's quite a trial, right? What does David say? Oh, my strength. I will watch, not for his enemies, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. What faith? I've never had men waiting to kill me. Maybe they felt like it, (laughs) but never killing. And yet, David's eyes, he says, I am not watching out for my enemies. I'm watching for you to work. Why? Because you are my fortress. It's interesting that in verse 6 and in verse 14 of this psalm, it's not on the overhead, but listen, David repeats this twice in this psalm. psalm. Verse 6 and verse 14, speaking of these enemies. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. So this is poetically how David is describing these men that are seeking to kill him from the hand of Saul. But you know what he says in verse 17? But I will sing of your strength. I will sing of your your steadfast love. When? In the morning. Now why do I share with you what verse 6 and verse 14 say? Because it has significance on what he says here. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. In other words, David's saying, God, every night my life 
is in jeopardy, but I know that you are in control no matter what it looks like, that you will bring saving rescue, and I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning because you are going to see me through each and every night. Wow, what faith. Can I ask you this, uh, uh, this morning? Do you wake up at night and all you think about are the difficulties of that day, of the next day, everything you have on your agenda, everything that's going on? I know, I know many times I can struggle with that. But that's not the heart we see of the one who's fixed on God. That yes, David's saying, Lord, deliver me in this psalm. He's saying, please, put judgment on my enemies. It's not that he doesn't care about it. But the greater always outweighs the lesser. Maybe on some of those sleepless nights, we need to crack open the psalms. Pray the psalms back to God. Redirect our attention in proactive ways. Why can he do this? The end of verse 17 says, For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. In other words, David's saying, Hey, Lord, you've already seen me through, through so many difficulties that I know you're a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress, so I'm going to trust you again. So in other words, spiritual maturity, it's not having a vision from God or an all-of-the-sudden moment that all-of-the-sudden transforms you in an instant. Praise God, the moment of salvation was like that. We are made righteous in a moment. But yet our growth in our Christian life, it is a process. And you know the, the, the path to maturity, it is trusting God each step of the way clinging to Him through the good times and the bad. And as we look back, we see God's faithfulness. And we don't just all of the sudden say, I'm going to trust God. No, we say, you know what? I've come to the point in my life that I've seen God is trustworthy. That's why Paul, speaking of strength, can say, most gladly I will bear my infirmities because God's power is made perfect in weakness. So why can we run to God? Because He truly is our only help. As helpful as those around us are, none are a help like God. But not only is He our only help, our only true help, but the, the good news is we see this at the end of verse 1. He is a very present help in trouble. The good news is he's an available help. What good is somebody that could really be helpful to you if they're not available? We all know that when we have to call the repairman or we have to, to, to get something fixed and it's kind of an emergency, but what happens? You're put on the schedule. And you have to wait. And you wonder if they're coming. 
But the Bible doesn't describe God like that. He's a very present help in trouble. This phrase has the sense that he can readily be found as a helper in trouble. Very present here has the idea of readily, always found. He is found by those who seek him. In fact, the CSB, I don't know what, what uh, version you, you are reading from, uh, the CSB, I think, really puts it well. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. That's the sense uh, of this verse. Now, many times we can think, well, it's, sometimes it seems like God is not there. And that is where we do have to walk by faith, not simply by sight. Because God's ways are not always our ways. That that God's presence does not mean His understandability. That's so key. Just because we don't understand what God is doing does not mean that God is not there in that moment, in that situation, working for us. He is readily found in trouble. Did you know the very first time this word trouble is used is regarding Jacob? Remember Jacob, the rascally fellow that would deceive everybody and made his own mess so many, so much, so many times? Let's note what he says about the day of his distress. In Genesis 35, it says this, Jacob says to his family, Let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That's the very first time that this word distress is used in the Bible, and look at the testimony that we have. Wow. Do you know when God first appeared to Jacob in Bethel? Jacob's an older guy now. I mean, he had to work 14 years uh, for his his wives. He got tricked and then uh, worked another seven years. uh, uh, Jacob's an older guy. And he looks back over his life. The first time God appeared to him at Bethel, he was running because he stole his brother's blessing. And his parents say, you better get out of here. Esau's going to kill you. He sleeps on a rock. And he sees the angels going up and down that ladder. And you know what he says at the end of that dream? He's still a selfish guy. He says, if God will truly meet my needs and if he will truly be with me, then he will be my God. And and he's making kind of this bargain with God. God in his patience and love, he, 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 He uh, continues to act graciously to to Jacob. But all of that is going on in his mind as he says, God has been, he answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. The same God that appeared to me when I was fleeing for my life, I'm going to build another altar there. And God has proven himself true to me. 
He's worthy to be worshipped. See, God is an available help. I just want to give you three reasons why God is an available help. Number one, God knows the troubles. You know that depressing song, nobody knows the troubles I've met, nobody knows. Um, There's one that does. It's God. It's so hard so many times to utter, we talked about this in Psalm 139, to utter our deepest thoughts. Because a lot of times, and women, take note to have some mercy on your husbands, sometimes it's hard to articulate things. I know many of you don't have that problem, but some of us do. It's hard to sometimes articulate things. And even those hard things to articulate, well, you know what? I don't really know what I think about this. You know what? I don't really know how I feel right now. I don't really know how to describe you fill in the blank. And we all experience those moments. I'm being uh, facetious. I'm joking with the the male-female thing, right? Right, guys? (laughs) Um, But God knows. And God, like Psalm 139 says, before a word is uttered on our tongue, God knows every one of them. God knows our troubles. How can He be a very present help in trouble? How can He be readily found in times of trouble if He's ever taken off guard? Psalm 31 verse 7, the psalmist says this, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. God knows. In fact, you can be totally transparent with God because He knows. You don't need to hide your feelings with God and try to pray uh, in a pious way because God knows your heart. I mean, over and over again in the Psalms, we see God's people saying, Why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Lord, it seems that, that this should happen, but this is happening. In life, there is a tension, and we are not going to be able to understand or make sense of everything that happens to us, to others. You fill in the blank. If you are trying to make sense of everything, you are putting yourself in the place of God. But we can rest secure that God knows the troubles. But listen, not only does he know the troubles, you want to know the really good news? God knows the troubled. That's you and me. If he did not know the troubled again, he would not be able to be readily found in trouble. In the book of Nahum, Nahum is, is pronouncing judgment on Nineveh. And it says in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Why? He knows those who take refuge in Him. Wow, that's like a mic drop moment. 
Not only does he know the troubles, he knows the troubled. Are we responding to the circumstance? Are we responding to the situation by running to God, knowing He knows both the troubles and the troubled? He knows us. He knows those we are praying for. He knows those brothers and sisters uh, across the globe that are imprisoned for their faith that seem totally deserted in a musty prison cell. God knows. But not only that, but God, He not only knows the troubles, He knows the troubled, God is greater than the trouble. It would be difficult for God to help if He was not greater than the trouble, but He is. The very next occurrence that we see of this word trouble in, in Psalm 46 is four, chapter, four psalms later in Psalm 50. And the psalmist says this, Call upon me. God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Do we have that on the overhead? just want to pinpoint two things here. Call upon, upon me in the day of trouble. There's trouble. God promises deliverance. And God says He will be glorified. So here's the important thing as we close that we need to keep in mind. I wrote it down uh, so I don't botch it up. All right, listening? Listening? God's deliverance and His glory go hand in hand. We've seen that, right, throughout the Bible. That when God delivers, He is glorified because it shows what a wonderful, saving God He is. It shows His great might, His great power, His care for His people. So God's deliverance and His glory go hand in hand. Now, here, this is important too. He will not forsake us because to do so would be to forsake His own glory. So if God ever forsook His people who He has covenanted together with, He has promised to be faithful to His people. If He ever forsakes His people, it would mean He forsake His own glory. Okay, so he will not forsake us because to do so would be to forsake his own glory. But we just as much have to remember this. Neither will he cater to our own preconceived ideas of what deliverance should look like. Because to do so would also mean that he forsake his own glory. Will God deliver His people? Yes. Can we prescribe for God how He will deliver His people? No. Every single saint that loses the battle to cancer, for instance, God victoriously delivers them 
because they go from the realm of being plagued by cancer in this body to the realm of God's presence. That is deliverance. Every believer throughout church history that has been uh, uh, hanged, has been beheaded, has been you fill in the blank shot at the firing line, has been delivered because God has brought them from death to life. That deliverance is just as much as the person that is cured of cancer, that is delivered from the cell of a prison, that the, tr- the trial, it just, you see God, just take that away. That deliverance is no more powerful than the deliverance even through death. So if we are truly about God's glory as he is, because God knows that we cannot thrive apart from his glory, if God is about his glory, then we too must be about God's glory above our own. Jesus is the one who has made God being our refuge and our strength possible. With him, there is forgiveness of sins. So as we close, we come once again to our key conclusion. We can trust God because he has made himself known to us. How has he made himself known to us? Just in verse 1, he is our strength and our refuge, and he is readily found by all who seek him. Thank you.